Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only tiefling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal. And Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Faro, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at poolmedia.podbean.com. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So I've really been looking forward to this episode for a really long time because we have done so much with Powered by the Apocalypse on the channel. It's nice to sit down and be able to talk about what Powered by the Apocalypse games are. So I'm really excited to be getting into tonight's topic. But before we get into that, as always, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. How are things down in the wonderful and hopefully not totally inundated state of Connecticut? Today has been pretty nice. Sun's been out, I, though I have fortunately, because I'm not big on the heat, been inside the AC almost the entire day, but it was cool when I went out a few minutes ago, grab a Diet Dew and come back. No, they're not sponsored. Hashtag call your boys TTJ. But yeah, it's been a nice day so far. Our rain was two days ago. It was yes, yesterday or whatever. It was it was rough. There's yeah, a lot of wet. <laughs> a lot of wet. It's been awful up here. Today was actually the first nice day in all of July. And I think in June, they said it rained something like 24 out of 30 days in June up here. It was absolutely ridiculous. But today was beautiful. Today was really nice. Yeah. So it like rained for something like 23 out of 30 days or something here in the state of Maine in the month of June. So it was nice that today was finally sunny, which of course meant I spent it inside behind my computer working on layout for our next book that's going to be hitting Dungeons and DM's Guide, DM's Guild, in just a couple of weeks here. Naturally, of course, I took the really nice day and spent it in inside behind my computer. Yeah. How about you, As Glenn? both of you are like little old men stepping out of their cryo cryogenically sealed houses and carefully touching one toe on the ground at a time <laughs> and hissing as the sun touches your skin. I spent, I don't know, an hour and a half like out walking and hiking in the sun and got all sweaty 
Yeah. And then aside from that, I've been working on replanning our trip because we've decided that our end of summer trip, Canada's on fire. So we're redirecting. Yeah. That's caught, thrown a little bit of chaos into things and we're reevaluating. We're now, instead of being gone for the whole winter, coming back in this direction. I'll be gone until September. And then when you're back, we will have to make sure we get some trips to some of our local eateries, watering holes. I will say this about me stepping out. I hate the heat. The only reason I'm ever outside when I was a younger man was to play football. I was suffering the heat to play football. I spent many sweaty summers with you at J.N. Webster. Near what? Water. (laughs) (laughs) We lived outside with no air conditioning and tents. Yes, near water. Let's yeah. definitely try to go ahead and bring this back on, on track here. Without any further ado, I would love to introduce our guest for this evening. This isn't going to be an interview, hopefully just a kind of a discussion and have, have our friend here lead us through some bits about Powered by the Apocalypse. Chrissy from Danger Dames, Omega Star 7, and The Modus Files, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. So awesome to have you tonight. Hey guys. <laughs> Hello. It's great to be here. Hello. And you all are a bunch of wusses because I'm down in the South and I'm telling you it's a lot of Hades down here. So. Uh, uh, you and it are was not gorgeous wrong. today. <laughs> I, I feel you. My whole family's South from Carolina. Texas. All of it. I choose yeah. to live. It was like 85 today and low humidity. It was absolutely brilliant for a July yeah. day. I was like, I'm like, I'm going for a walk today. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, spoke with somebody from- to settle into this route around the country that's called Chasing 70. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that a lot. <laughs> I'm a computer programmer. Eschew the sunlight whenever possible. So am I. And uh, same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also Except super Irish. Really so I, that's a- <laughs> I'm Mediterranean. I, I spoke with somebody in South Carolina today and we were talking about the weather. That was our exact conversation. So you don't even know what heat is. I'm like, look, I've been down south enough. I get it. I went to basic in Missouri. I've been to Texas. I've been to Florida. I've been to the D.C. area. And I can tell you what. I, despite the fact I'm a short black guy whose family's from Zambia, am not built for that heat. Not <laughs> built for it. I was born and raised in Ithaca, New York. Like Yankee in, through and through. I got it. <laughs> I, I've seen snow in June and I love that. Oh my yeah. God. This? Nuh uh. Nuh I think it's really funny that you classify Washington, D.C. and Missouri both as being south. south, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a statement of your northern It was 110 here like four days ago, so. Yeah. I go south in the winter. I do not do it during the summer. (laughs) And I love all my family who live in Texas and in Jackson, Mississippi. And I will come visit them at some point whenever I get that opportunity to do summer or not. I will bring the heat for people I love. I will do that for them. I will do that for them, but not much else. (laughs) I don't know know how much of an expert I will be, but I will do my best. (laughs) You came highly recommended from friend of the show, Hope for TTRPG. So really, I trust her recommendation wholeheartedly. But before we kind of get into the body of the episode, Chrissy, so that folks know who you are and what you do, tell us about yourself. Okay, I guess really I come here because of Danger Dames. I do have a couple of other podcasts that I do that are audio dramas, but that's not relevant to this. Danger Dames is an actual play podcast where we, it's women at a table and we focus on non-traditional systems. So we don't do D&D. We want to focus on systems that are independent, young, new, etc. We want to spotlight those systems and that's really where I'm on here, our very first season was Apocalypse World, which is what Powered by the Apocalypse was created for. And that was where it all came around. We were big fans of the McElroys and their show, but frankly, several of us, mostly me, don't like D and don't at me. I understand. I played it for 20 years. I've earned my right to say this. It's just not my jam. I enjoy the more modern versions of storytelling through the dice. And so we met this wonderful GM, Jacob, who is our GM for Danger Dames. And he also shared our love for these independent systems. One day we were all talking. I was like, man, you know what we're missing? We're missing actual plays where there's women playing. When we first started Danger Dames, there weren't many out there. There's a lot more now. And I'm very excited for that. And I try to lift them up any way I can. But at the time, it was mostly men. No offense, fellas, but it was mostly men and it was mostly D&D. And so I was like, what if, hear me out, it's women and we don't do D&D. And so we focus on a different system each season. We're on our fourth season. We've had a couple of hiccups along the way with life as 
human beings are wont to do that have slowed us <laughs> yeah. down a little bit, but I think that we do okay despite it. Some divorces, some other major issues that have come up, but we're managing and we love playing together and we're very blessed that we get to play together in a room. And that's very unique these days, I'm finding. But yeah, that's been our big thing is to make sure we could focus on these systems that are different and showing people, A, how they work. Like you, we learn them, like we learn them at the table. And so you're listening to us. Jacob, he, man, absorbs everything. So he already always knows all the systems. We come to these games completely unaware. And so we are playing them like newbies. Granted, we are gamers, so we know what we're doing on that side of things, but that's really the thing that I wanted to showcase is like, hey, anybody can play these games. Watch or listen in this instance because we don't do video. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. That's what we were able to do with our field trip series when we bring Kickstarter creators in to go Mm. ahead and demonstrate their game. And it sounds like we have a lot of connection in what you do season after season with different systems and what we are doing currently with the 2D20 system and Star Trek preservations. We decided this year that our actual play would shift into a new system. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, as is everybody here at TTJ, and really wanted to play the system and learn the system. We also run games for our patrons, and we wanted to make sure that they had the opportunity to play. We also felt with these systems, regardless of how old or new they are, PBTA came out in 2006. Star Trek Adventures came out in 2017. So these are not brand new games. They didn't just come out a week and a half ago, but it is harder to find them. So what we wanted to do is show everything from start to finish. Like we recorded and put out for air, our session zero, how to build characters, stuff like that. And I love it. There's a couple shows that do that. Not nearly as many that need to for the various systems. And I love the fact that you're here to help us get that experience with Powered by the Apocalypse. I just hear that a lot where people are like, I don't want to learn a new system. It's too hard. And I'm like, no, it's really not. Here, watch. If Chrissy can learn it, I promise you can. Because I don't <laughs> like to learn new things. This is my games wise. Like that's big Chrissy's thing. So if yeah. I can sit down and learn it, you can do it. I promise. And nice. we're a little bit goofy and funny while we do it. So <laughs> Perfect. And that's great. It fits right along what we're trying to do this year in general. Aside from just STA, we want to do even if it's a miniseries on Powered by the Apocalypse, Illuminated by Lumen. It's just all still in the planning phases. Yeah. No, I get that. There's always something more you want to do. Mm-hmm. There's only yeah, so much right. time to do it in. That's I kind of the cool all- thing about the TTRPG space is that there's always another system or another game or another. There's always something new. Like this is a remarkably creative community and there's right. always new content coming out to go ahead and explore through the blessing and the curse. <laughs> Especially yeah. these days. So like I said, I played D&D. I did the D&D thing since, oh God, I'm not even going to say the dates for a very long time. <laughs> In the early to mid aughts, my now ex-husband started to read about these other games. I think Fudge might've been one of our first systems that he got. Vincent Baker's first game, Dogs in the Vineyard, which was basically like you played Mormons, but not, you weren't Mormons. I don't know. It was, we played it, I hated it. They enjoyed it, but I grew up Mormon. So I had a lot of PTSD where I was like, no, this is not a game for me. I don't want to play this game. But that was, I can recall that being one of the very first times we were presented with something that wasn't World of Darkness, Shadowrun, Dungeons and Dragons, like the staples, right? And so he has a copy of this book. You can't get a copy of this book anymore. Bear in mind. I think you can get them on eBay for $1,000. But I remember him getting this book and being like, oh, this is something different we're playing. Okay, we'll play this. And I was like, oh, I don't like this game. Then it was just other games like that started. Like I said, it was Fudge, which is now Fate. And the Fudge Dice became Fate Dice. It's just really interesting to be of this age where we watched the change in gaming outside of D&D. And D&D has had its major changes as well. It just, we transitioned away from it early on. And I still have my core group. There were nine of us that played weekly in my early 20s. And I will still play with them occasionally. But the last time I played, I 
I was just done. I just realized it really just didn't scratch my itches anymore. But they're great guys. But yeah, it's just it's really interesting to see how these new systems evolve and the different ways of doing the mechanics. There's some systems that use cards instead of dice. And the creatives that create these systems are just fantastic. And Gen Con's coming up, what, in two or three like two weeks? Two weeks, two, three weeks. Yeah. And yeah. you know that there's going to be new stuff that's going to come out of that because that's where it's all revealed. And that's, I'm sad I'm not going because one of these years I'm going to go and get to be part of all that. I have so many friends that go, but yeah. I want to go next year. That is my plan. I am doing some local convention appearances this year and a regional one out in Ohio in November is the plan. But next year I want it to be, I want 2024 to be my first Gen Con year. Yeah. I Our GM Jacob goes every year. So it's amazing. One day our podcast will make enough money to send the three of us to Gen Con every year. Even if that's all it pays us. Even if that's all it pays us. Hey, I mean, if uh, if the September Kickstarter that we're planning is super successful for our, what would be what our fourth book, our fifth book. Here's I mean, where we insert the, the, the Kickstarter link, and we insert yeah, the uh, Patreon oh, link. Oh, Funny, subscribe. Make yeah. sure you give these boys the money they deserve. Come on, yeah, you're listening. No. What do they say on NPR? They're like, yeah. you're already listening. How much is it to buy a cup of coffee? Yeah. Give these guys a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't even have the preview link put together. We're not even that far ahead yet. Yeah, that's no, we're actually working soon. on the book before soon. that first, but yeah, we're yeah, finishing yeah. that. That's our way. Trying to finish one project before starting the next one. It's always challenging. Without any further ado, let's see if we can go ahead. And, and get let's in here. Do this. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm going to start you with a really, I hope, uh, easy question that doesn't take you the next 45 oh, minutes to answer. Although I understand that it might. You just throw an initiative out the window. Powered by the Don't worry about it. Powered by the Apocalypse doesn't use initiative. It's all story driven. Whoever has, whoever has, you just the start talking. You're take, like, so you just what start talking. Is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. So what happens what is happened was, yeah. So we've already said one big difference between what Powered by the Apocalypse brings to the table versus what other systems might. But can you give us again, like the dime tour? If I were sitting down to a Powered by the Apocalypse game for the first time, what could I expect that might be different from other games that I've played? So the big thing that I explain to people when I'm telling them about PBTA is the playbooks. That's really, it's the narrative driven playing where basically you don't say, what can I do with these mechanics? You say, I'm going to do this thing. And then you figure out how the mechanics help that thing. So that's very fun. The whole like, okay, so I leap out this window and I do this thing. What does that look like? The playbooks to me is the biggest difference because and that's why I frankly Chrissy my personality the way I like to play the playbooks are my favorite thing because it gives you a blueprint of a character apocalypse world is a perfect example it's like I said Vincent and McGay literally created this system for apocalypse world which is very gritty it's very dark and it's not really my cup of tea on the surface but you have these playbooks and you're like, okay, you're this kind of character. So it gives you basic ideas. And then you just build somebody off of that character. So it's basically, I played a battle babe, which is pretty much, I think the hardest playbook they have for that system. But basically what it came down to is you pick a character based off of this trope, I guess is the best word I can think of. And then they have specific moves and they have specific goals and whatnot. But then you can make this person off of that. And it's still yours. You create it. It's not like you have to be defined by these things. And they're moves that let you change playbooks. You can make them more creative as you go. So I just, I love the playbooks because they just feel like such a great blueprint to start with as opposed to numbers, which you're like, okay, I'm a 18 in charisma and I'm a 15 in strength. What does that look like? As opposed to you were wronged by a cursed group of people who murdered your family. It's just more narrative. And and I think that's where I come in. I do audio dramas as my other podcasts. I like to tell stories. And so that's where it appeals to me. I know that there are people who love the math of D&D. They love the mechanics and that's what scratches their itches. And that's great. If that's what makes you happy, good. That's not what makes me happy. I like telling the story. And so with a Powered by Apocalypse game, that's it's more like sitting around a campfire and telling a story. Dice just help it along. Sometimes <laughs> they really mess you up. You're like, I'm going to do this triumphant thing. Oh, just kidding. I rolled 
snake eyes. But even then, it's not a failure. And that's the other thing I really love about these system is failing on the dice doesn't mean you failed. It means the world around you screwed you up. And so it's never on you. It's not like you couldn't trip the trap. It means the trap was extra tricky and it bit your hand. And it took me a really long time to wrap my brain around that concept. Poor Jacob. It took us like almost the entire season of Apocalypse World to train me out of my old D&D mentality and into this. No, it doesn't mean you failed. It just means you didn't succeed. And I liked, I love that about it. But yeah, basically, I think that'd be my biggest things is the narrative driven, just say what you want to do. And then we'll figure out how that looks on paper and then the playbooks. I always wanted a fail forward kind of mechanic. Mm -hmm. When I Mm -hmm. first saw the real thing and my very first impression of Powered by the Apocalypse is they had that built in. That specific Powered by the Apocalypse build had a lot of special things there that even made that way cooler. Like you would learn things about your mysterious past. Yeah, sometimes it's fun to fail. Incomplete success. I actually found that was better than getting a success. And I think the best... The Powered by the Apocalypse builds I have read and played that I like the most are the ones where that middle ground of I didn't quite succeed, but I didn't quite fail. Succeed at a cost is how it's Succeed at a cost. Yeah, yeah that, that succeeded at a cost was superior to any other result you could get. It's and, all real, right? Yep. Life is never good or bad. It's gray. And so having a game where I did it. But at what cost is, and then you have to deal with that. Yeah. That fail forward is just, oh, it's delicious. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times that as a youngster, I would be driving somewhere and maybe not doing, not going the proper speed limit or basically just not doing <laughs> well and made a couple significant turns to avoid having legal entanglements. But now that meant for a week, it was a bad idea to be in that town again <laughs> because my car is somewhat recognizable because of the beat up <laughs> I was driving. That kind of thing. I, that's real life. That's mm-hmm. what this succeeded at cost is all about. Yeah, you got away, but did you? <laughs> right. Out, outrunning the cops is the same as getting away. Yeah. All right, Glenn, go ahead. Since since I so aptly stole the uh, st- stole the action from you, have at it. My question, and I, I love that we've been talking about Apocalypse World for a little while now and using it as our main comparison, which I've never played, but obviously that's where, Chris, your experience, most experience comes from. And as our on-air expert, so to speak, though I know we're using that term lightly, <laughs> Y'all played an entire season of Apocalypse World, and then you did a one-shot of Monster of the Week. Now, Monster of the Week is one that we've talked about on the show before and one that I also find intriguing. And the two games are very different, but they're still powered by the same engine. And that's one of the things I love about the Powered by the Apocalypse system. So to showcase the fact that it is just the engine, but you can frame any story or world around it. Could you tell us a little bit about the difference between Monster of the Week and Apocalypse World? So, full disclosure, Monster of the Week is my favorite game. Is it? I love it so much. It is. So, I ran a one-shot, which is the very first time I have ever jammed that one-shot. It's the only time I've jammed. We were trying to do a thing where we were like, each one of us should run a one-shot so that we get a chance to jam, but in our safe space with our people that we trust and know, right? Jamming's scary if you aren't typically a jam. I've never been a jam. So I was like, okay, I will do Monster of the Week. Um, Intimidating even if you do it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so I learned. We decided to do it within the confines of our season two world. That was my choice, honestly, because the world was already built. So it felt like a safe space to do it. I love, I play a play-by-post game that is Monster of the Week with some people online. I've been playing it for about two years now. I love Monster in the Week because I'm a Buffy girl. I'm a supernatural girl. I love those worlds. And so that's Monster of the Week is literally, think of those shows that you love. Do you want to be Buffy? Buffy? Do you want to be Dean from Supernatural? That is what Monster of the Week is. And so it's still that, it's still the playbooks. It's still the dice rolls and the mechanics, but you get to play this a little bit. Apocalypse World is very gritty. There's no hope. There's no future. The world is shit and it's awful. And that's how it's supposed to be. Like that's the game you're playing. You are surviving 
this awful world and that's how you're surviving it. Whereas Monster of the Week is literally like, you just happen to know monsters exist and you can choose to fight them or you can choose to be part of them. You could be one of them. There is actually a playbook where you're part monster. And so like, I think we did play, we actually played a monster of the week game. We never recorded it, but we played it where we were basically, we were sorority sisters (laughs) and Lydia, who was in our season one and two was a fish person. And at one point she got scared so bad. She got converted to her fish self inside an RV and was like flopping around as this fish person. And, but it was all dice rolls and like just narrative. And then at one point I was driving my car. I always played Dean. Let's be real. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you play Dean? So I'm like driving the car and I do this thing where like I shift the thing and I slide the car sideways and we like grab her and we throw her into the back seat while the car is moving and the dice allow it. And you're like, you can see it. It's all cinematic, right? You can play a Monster of the Week game that's gritty and dark. I've listened to a couple of actual plays that do those as well. But that's the neat thing with the narrative based systems is what story do you want to tell? And what do you think is interesting? It's a little different when you're doing an actual play because you're trying to think of the audience and what is interesting to the audience. So a lot of my editing is us at the table discussing where we're going to go with it. So it's different than if you're just playing at the table. But it is, it's just you're like, how do you see this? Jacob's really, it takes a good GM. Having done the GMing for our game, I learned from him one of my favorite things he does. And this is what I implemented while I was doing is how do you see that happen? How do you, what do you see happening? Allow your players to describe it in their head out loud. And then you figure out how the mechanics make it happen because that's how the story blossoms, right? Because they, they see it. They're seeing it in their head. This is what they want to happen. The dice might not allow it. You'll work with that too. So Apillion, we played that as a one shot as well. That's also a powered by Apocalypse it's Isn't a magpie I didn't realize game, that was. which magpie was created by Vincent and McGay. And it is your, it's, it, yeah. So basically you're my little ponies, except for your dragons <laughs> instead of my little ponies. But it's the same <laughs> thing. You get playbooks and there's dragons that have different, but like each system is very, or each of these games is very similar in its feel. Was it Urban Shadows? I, th- I haven't played Urban Shadows, but my team has. And so I've heard them talking about it, but it's the same kind of thing where you're like, Oh, no, I have played Urban Shadows. No, there's a big joke that Chrissy can never remember the games that she plays because <laughs> we play so many different games where in Urban Shadows, again, I was Dean, but I had a drug addiction that was fed to me by a vampire. I Fuck love it. that episode, by the way. <laughs> that was a great episode of Supernatural. Those tropes are so good that Apocalypse World, powered by the apocalypse, the system really very much allows for you to play out these fantastical stories you already know yeah i once heard somebody talk about steal like an artist there's a book actually it's called steal like an artist when you're creating things everybody's it's not original nothing's original yeah it's all about making it yours and making it uniquely yours and so these systems this system allows a lot of that just to tell your tale and be this fantastic awful Sometimes you're really awful lydia played this fake character who was like stealing children and loved every minute of it it's like my favorite quote from Stravinsky, good composers borrow, great composers steal. And it's the same kind of concept where it's not only that there are no unique no unique ideas out there, but that really, truly great narrative art comes from your ability to go ahead and take the palette of ideas that you have been presented and use them in unique ways. Not tell new right. stories, but use them in unique ways. And right. when you were talking about using the playbooks to be a little bit self-reflective about it, it reminded me like in the real thing, how we all realized that totally inadvertently, and I don't necessarily know that this was the plot from the, the plan from the beginning, but we all wound up kind of playing like exaggerated versions of ourselves from our past on some level. Yeah. Or, or So it's it this very strange kind of realization that, uh, that, that we were playing... But- there was definitely some Travis in you, and there was definitely some Aristotle in me, like for sure. That was well, yeah, I was pretty own, much playing myself. I, there, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing the the playbook that I was playing was the artist playbook, and so it was like, but he had again like this like crippling drug addiction, and was like he was like pretended to be way more of the social butterfly than he actually was like thought he was more of the social butterfly but did not have nearly the social grace enough to be the social butterfly so so that made when you're talking about trying to go ahead and tell a story and then see if the rules can back you up on it 
sometimes that worked and sometimes that did not work in my favor. There were sometimes pretty comedically where it fell apart for me. The fails are almost, they were hard at first. Sure. They were very hard at first, but then eventually you start to learn to, you start to learn to love them because you're like, yeah. this is when the cool story happening. Yeah, yeah. Cause like, how am I going to knit this into something palatable now that it's shit, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly, goes, yeah. So a perfect example, and this is a spoiler. So if you don't want to hear this, everybody plug your ears. Season yeah. one, <laughs> Apocalypse World. At the very end, my character Snow, who is the battle babe, is defeating the bad guy. She climbs to the very, very top of this like crazy ass tower. And I already knew what I was going to do. I, like, I was like, I'm going to kill this character. I was like, this is how she would be. She would sacrifice herself to f- fix it. And so she climbs to the very top of this tower and the t- she does defeats the thing and everything starts to crumble below her and she falls to the, basically what I would accept is my death. However, my team decided that was not the case, that they would rescue her. And basically she becomes like a crippled person that they decide to embrace into their like their priest priestesshood and take her on. And we decided it doesn't happen in the season, but we decided that she would switch playbooks basically and become an angel, which is a healer instead of a battle babe and that she would give up her battle babe days. And it's just really neat. Cause like in my head, I was like, Nope, she's I'm killing myself. It's fine. I'm a sacrifice it. It's going to be cool. And I rolled the dice and it all went the way I wanted. And then they overrolled me and they were like, Nope, just kidding. This is what happens instead. And you're like, Oh, but I'm not mad at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's never expected and it's never disappointing. If you have a good GM who knows how to nurture the narrative of the players. You got most make- of my questions, but I guess where I would go is I kind of want to hear stories of great success with consequences. Cause I found that to be the most intriguing thing in the PBTA games that I played. And so I was interested in what some of your favorite stories along those lines. We had some epic ones in our in our Supers game and clearly like significantly epic ones in the real thing. I can't wait for them to do their second and third games, which are coming out soon. But I'm interested in your experience with those because that fail forward mechanic, you're ro- everybody's rolling 2d6. I don't know if we stated this specifically, but for the audience, die rolls are 2d6 in Power by the Apocalypse. 2 to 7 is a critical failure. 7 to 9 is failure. a yeah, yep, 7 seven to nine nine is a success, success with consequence. With consequences, a yep. 10 and up is a success success with a 12 being a critical success and obviously and then it depends on the game sometimes there's a little bit flexibility but seven to nine is always the success with consequences Consequences. correct so when we have that great mechanic there it's that middle ground which happens to be the sweet spot for 2d6 when you roll them that should come up the most frequent that's what that's where the drama is because drama is not in success Mm. and drama is not always in failure drama is in successes with consequences or consequences with success and so i i am intrigued in your experiences like like what was your what's one memorable one if not your absolute favorite because it's hard to kind of pick that over the years i'm sure but what's (laughs) some of your most memorable successes with consequences so the falling off the tower is probably my favorite because like i said i was determined to die and i didn't get to do the thing i wanted to do but i think so i i don't roll y'all like this is a common denominator in our games is I roll very poorly. But there was one time where, so the character I played in Apocalypse World was, again, like I said, she was a battle babe. So she was like, the badass man. If I hit someone, it wasn't pretty. Like, you you didn't want me to hit you. <laughs> oh, yes. No, this is my favorite. <laughs> this was my favorite. Lydia played our Skinner, who are sexual, for lack of a better word they were sexy and they attracted people or whatever and are you have to create relationships when you're creating characters in powered by the apocalypse games and there's questions and you have to answer them and in the narrative as we started to determine it is that she and i had a relationship but it was complicated basically we went with witcher and yennefer (laughs) was where the narrative we had in our head at the time And at one point she was doing something. God, I cannot remember what. Oh, she decided we were up against the really big bad 
who was a really big bad, and I could decimate the really big bad with a single hit with my weapon. Let me just do this thing where I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do this thing. She decided that she was going to do it and got called out by the really big bad. And so she's, I'm going to go out and do it. And I was like, that's not the thing. She had this coat that was an iconic coat. That's how you knew who she was. And so she's, I'm going to go out there and do that. And I decided to hit her. And I rolled so well (laughs) that the consequences were (laughs) that I could have killed her. (laughs) And so we had to have a lot of narrative at the table where we're like, wait, I was like, no, but I didn't hit her like I was going to kill her. I just wanted to knock her out. (laughs) And so there was a lot of table talk of, no, I understand the mechanics, but I would not have hit her hard enough to kill her. But like numbers wise, I would have killed her. And so we had to have like about 30 minute discussion about whether or not my character killed her because as far as the dice go, that was the consequences. And so we decided narratively, we didn't like that. And that's the beautiful thing. One falls over a rock. Yeah. But that was the beautiful thing about the narrative thing. As you discuss it, we do a lot of safety tools when we create systems to understand where we want the games to go. Do your safety tools. I recommend them. There are tons out there for you, especially when you're playing with people you don't know very well. So there's red light, green light, yellow light and basically you put cards on the table and as you do things if you like the narrative if it's you're loving it you hit the green card if you're like this is a hard no you hit the red card we do lines of veils before we start the system where we're like what are your lines what are your veils lines are i don't want to talk about this this is not something that can come up in our game at all and veils are things that like you're not comfortable with but they're not a hard no this is very important actually one of the pbta games is bluebeard's bride that game Hmm. is brutal y'all it is They call it female horror, I guess, basically, because you play the wife of a murderer and everybody at the table plays an aspect of her personality and you're basically being abused in the game. That's the whole concept of the game. And so you have to really work on those safety tools. We use lines and veils. We have, gosh, I can't remember what it's called right now. That's like questions that we ask and it's same page tool. That's what it's called. The same page tool. If you Google mm, it. If you Google it, same page tool, it's a series of questions and they ask you like A, B, C, and D. Is this what you expect in this game? Is this how you want this game to go? Is this how you want the other players to handle these things? Those tools are brilliant, especially if you're playing with people you don't know. We flesh through them very quickly because we all know each other and have been playing together for years now, but we still use them. They're always in our session zero. So if you listen to our session zeros, you'll hear us use them. They're really great ways of making sure everybody is understanding where the game should go. And if you go outside of those bounds, then you have the ability. We use the X card. That's another safety tool where you hit the X card. It's a literally a literally it's like a card we see it on the table that has a p- pencil X on it. And you'll hit that and you'll be like, I don't want to keep going on this. And that's in that ends the narrative. There's no discussion. That's it. Because that means somebody's uncomfortable and it's all about making sure everybody's comfortable at the table. And so with systems like, or with games like Apocalypse World, Bluebeard's Bride, where there's just a little bit harsher, those are really great tools to have. We use Session Zero. We celebrate the use of that. I thank you very much for bringing to our attention the same page tool. It's not one I had heard from before. As you're talking, I brought it up and I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is a really nice tool to use it's something i definitely i will be putting this together i've got three convention appearances i'm running tables i've got three three games i'm running within the next two and a half weeks so i will definitely be bringing this so i can provide that to my players because that's a really good way to go i'm a big fan of lines and veils and even though our patron game started As we get new patrons, I do a session zero with each new patron joining the games where I have the same notes that I did the very first one. Go over that. Let them know where we are. I always recommend that they've listened to the show and the episodes so they have an idea where the other characters are. And that way they've got a basis to say, hey, 
something I something in this other character concerns me or what have you because I am perfectly willing to make adjustments. We've been playing for five months now or four four and a half almost five months now, but I am perfectly willing to make adjustments to make sure the table is safe for everybody involved. Those are definitely the types of things that we, that we use. And the one other thing I always say to folks is. Whether it's X card, whether it's Haley Winnick, I got to stop. Whatever you got to do, not allow something that is bothering you to continue beyond the point you notice it's bothering you. I don't care how you have to let me know, but let me know. <laughs> whatever you feel safest in, whatever method you feel safest in or most comfortable with letting me know, do that. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. Like I said, those yeah. tools are phenomenal and just, especially. Mm, as a woman gamer, <laughs> let's be real. It's been a little tricksy over the last 20 years or so. It's nice to have a way. Sure. I've been very blessed. My table that I've played at has always been amazing people, but I know that I've read stories. I've heard stories. So having a way to be like, we're going to set the expectations of this table through these questions. And if you go outside these questions, then no, we've called you out. We're like, no, we set these expectations. That's what we're expecting from you. It's this newer generation of gamers, and I love what they've created with these tools. Like, really, it, it makes it so much more comfortable. And we've only used the X card a handful of times. Again, we all know each other really well. We're also women, so we tend to get a little emotional sometimes. So it has come up where we needed to stop and wait. Who are you yelling at? Are you yelling at me or my character has happened? <laughs> so the X card yeah. comes into hand where you can be like XXX and they're like, oh, that was not me. That was the character. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the narrative based games, they can get a little intense sometimes. And in your instance where you're doing this at conventions and stuff, yeah, no, you're playing with people you don't know. You know that you can run into people who can be... They like to push envelopes and that's okay, except for that might make other people uncomfortable. So it's really good to be like, okay, yeah. here are our expectations for this game. I expect you to be an adult and abide to these things. Yeah. Well, Lee and I have talked about this a lot from our, first of all, yeah, very well said. We've talked a lot about this before, about how we in the early 2000s ran World of Darkness LARPs, right? And in the area that we were running them, the storytellers that ran games in this area were known for and leaned into dark, edgy, pushing the envelope type games almost beyond the point where our players felt that they could say, hey, no, that's too far. We would like, and I, I, I'm glad that kind of 20 years after the fact, the scene has changed enough that we're like, no, we as storytellers have a responsibility and it's a shared responsibility, part of the social contract with your players that this can be, we can explore dark themes, we can explore edgy topics, we can push the envelope, but we can also still do it within a walled garden of safety where nobody feels threatened, nobody is actually being traumatized, all those sorts of things. We would say, 20 years later, I can look back and say that we would say stupid things like, no, your cost of admission is your waiver for psychology bills and stuff, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like things like, if, or just stupid asinine comments like that really, that I can imagine made players feel unwelcome. If they didn't want to do those things, did they not come and play because of that? And so it's like, at the time, we thought that we were being like edgy and everything like that. But it's like, but now in retrospect, it's like, nope, we were potentially not being safe. I really love that kind of revolution in the game. One of the first rules of the social contract should always be that everybody's responsibility is to help make sure that everybody has fun yeah. and trauma isn't fun. Unless it's Bluebeard's Bride, in which case that's the whole point. Experience, I yeah. think, if you're interested, but it, we played it, I think, four yeah. years ago and I'm still not ready to play it again. <laughs> There's another game that that reminded me of called, uh, the game is Everybody is John, and it's a mm -hmm. very similar sort of game mm -hmm. where all of you, Everybody at the table is playing the same person, mm -hmm. but all of you are playing different aspects of that person and different aspects of that per person that are, I don't want to say at war with themselves, but 
but it has that same kind of feel to it. If you're interested in that style of narrative, but maybe not quite quite so much brutality, that's maybe like a step back. Because yeah, yeah. like I, I'm thinking about like games like Bluebeard's Bride and Ten Candles and things like that. There's a very kind of intimidating aspect to the nature of the game. They're hopeless. You know, yeah, exactly. They're hopeless. We haven't done Ten Candles, but we do. What is the one you play with Jenga? Oh gosh, I um, just heard about that game recently. Oh, yeah, I thought you were telling us about that one, Josh. That was not me. Dread. We play Dread for things for Halloween every year. That's our big thing. Jacob comes up with a big story for Dread. And it is, you play it with a Jenga board. And like anytime you make a, you're like, my character does this thing. Okay, we'll pull a thing. And if it falls, everybody dies, basically. And really, the thing with Dread, Bluebeard's Bride, Bluebeard's Bride, the big thing is it's your multiple aspects of the personality. You're either going to decide that you love him anyway. Or you have to escape him. You're not getting away. Either way, you're going to die. You know this going into the game. You're not going to survive the game. However, it's the outcome of it. Do you decide that you love him anyway? Or do you decide that you have to get away? And that's what's, that's the horror of it is the like, because we had one player, she was like, no, I love him anyway. And you're like, oh God, it's so gross but he's murdering everything. It's just gross. And, but it's interesting <laughs> in some sort of way, but dreads the same way. We're like, most likely you're going to die. We actually survived this year, which or I survived this year, wow. <laughs> so, which is amazing. We've played for four years now. That's the only time we've ever survived. We had one year where somebody survived <laughs> with the virus as they like booted away. So <laughs> they didn't survive. Oh, um, no. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. that's the thing with these games is that that's why the safety same page tools and whatever are important is like you're willing to put yourself into a position where you know that you're vulnerable and you will suffer the worst sort of consequences. But that's where the fail forwards come into play because you're like, you know what? I know that this isn't going to go well, but I'm interested to see where it's going to go. And you have to be okay. Yeah. Gone are the days with D&D where like you, you just knew your character was going to die. You're like, oh, I failed and my character's right. going to die. You won't die. You won't die unless your GM just decides to kill you. But it's not going to be good. <laughs> but yeah. what does that look like? You got to be willing to be like, that's interesting. And I'm interested to hear what happens next. you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We've talked about some of the basic mechanics. We've talked about the playbooks. Big fan also. We've talked about the succeed with consequences mechanics. What are some of the other elements of Powered by the Apocalypse that you would mention to folks? Like you've got, let's fast forward five years. Tabletop Journeys, we meet with you and the rest of your cast. We're all at Gen Con. We're on a panel, all of us. And the audience is there and you're, you have the opportunity to tell this wide audience that has primarily been stuck in a single high fantasy game by one particular company of which we won't go into too many details about. But you have the opportunity to say, in addition to all the other things we've talked about tonight, here's another cool thing about Powered by the Apocalypse. What would you mention about that? It's like the lack of math, right? You, you roll two dice. You have two dice, yeah. and then you add your little, like, four points if you have them, and then you figure out where you're at with it. And then you have to tell the narrative. Like, the dice happen. It's fine. They're mostly irrelevant. You're like, okay, so I do this thing. And okay, let's see what the dice say. Okay, the dice say, no, you don't do this thing. You still do it. That's the thing. You still always do the thing. Whatever it is you said you were doing, you still do it. It's just, what's the outcome? 
right? So you're like, okay, so I'm going to sneak up on this caravan and I'm going to murder the driver. You're like, okay, roll for it. You're like, okay, oh shoot, I got a six. I got a seven. You know what? I use a point. I got a seven. So you fail, but you fail with consequences. You're like, okay, so you get up there and you slit the guy's throat. But before you're able to slit his throat, he screams out and five of his friends turn and face you. What do you do? So that's the fail forward, right? So this, there's the next scene. Like it's already, it's just, it feeds itself. So you're like, and you've seen this, you've seen this in TV shows, especially, like I said, I was mentioning Supernatural, like they do a thing and then it just goes awry. And then there's the next thing. The story drives itself through that narrative. So you're not like, what do we do next? You're never sitting around going, I don't know what to do next. Because it's always moving itself forward through the successes or the failures. So that would be the simplicity of it. I like not having to figure out the six different statistics that go to this thing. And then you have your special moves where you're like, okay, yes, except for I have never again which is a monster of the week move for the, oh crap, the wanted, I think. Anyway, where like, you're like, I protect people. So never again, I get a plus one anytime I'm protecting somebody from a monster. And so you're like, oh wait, but also I'm this badass person who has never again. (laughs) So there's not as much to (laughs) keep in mind when you're playing. You just be the person and play the story and you get to be this cool version I always play myself in one way or another. I think you guys were saying the same thing where like you found yourself playing versions of yourself. (laughs) I'm never as cool as the person I play, but it's who I see in my head. And so that's the cool thing is, and I, while I am a hobbit to the core, I prefer the more like modern apocalypse sort of stories just because they feel a little bit more real. That's a fair statement. I am drawn to... Modern role play. I tend, I as much as I love high fantasy and I play a lot of that. I and I love science fiction. Obviously, doing a Star Trek game currently and running several of them at the same time. But I'm always drawn to a modern story. Actually, I was floating ideas earlier today, which was based on a more today plus a few years kind of thing. Back in the early aughts, I played a lot of D20 Modern, and I was a first day backer like i think i was somewhere in the first 1000 people to back everyday heroes because i love one of those creators and i just wanted to support them because they're the same folks who did d20 modern but i love playing that modern game it's something i've been doing for a lot of years with a lot of friends and a lot of games is let's make characters that are exactly us and put them in this game. So we've done it a couple of times with D&D, like we'd make our characters or whatever, but I love the concept of a modern game. I've done it with the phase rip at Marvel. I've done it multiple times with D20 Modern, with the weird take on Voyagers, the old 80s television show. One of my absolute favorites, loved it. Phineas Bogg and the whole bit. In fact, they made an appearance in that game that I ran for my son, a good buddy, and his son. We, we We had a nice game there we did for that. I just love that modern game. And that's one of the things I really liked about Powered by the Apocalypse. So many of the games are current or near current. While they're, it can obviously be anything, right? But so many of at least the standard builds are current to near current that it just feels really natural. But the more close to the modern era you get, I think it's very important to have a more narrative game because none of us know what it's like to tan a horse. So we need mechanics to do that, right? We won't narratively, that's something or tan a hide. Some of us know some things about skinning fish and doing all that. Thank you, Glenn, for teaching me those things. And senior <laughs> cut. Uh, well said, man. He was teaching me at the same time. Yep. These are the types of things that we don't have in our modern world. So we need more mechanical weight to help us visualize that, visualize our success. But in the modern world, if it's, you're driving a race car, we know what that looks like. Not my favorite movie, but most of us have seen Days of Thunder, right? Oh, we have an idea, right? Or we watch NASCAR, or maybe it's play football, maybe it's play baseball, maybe it's dodgeball. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. (laughs) (laughs) Great line. But these are the things that, because we know them so well, 
you almost don't want to have mechanics because then that's when a lot of mechanics or heavy mechanics make the narrative fall apart. So the more closer to today we are with the game, the less mechanics we actually need to make the story feel good. That's my narrative take on things. And I just love the fact that there are so many games in that modern era. I think Kids on Bikes, if I'm if, unless I miss a guess, that's a powered by Apocalypse. I have never got a chance to play that. I'm not sure, but I thought that was a take on that. I might be wrong on that one, though. I can't remember. Kids on Bikes is not... What is it? I haven't played that. I stay away from systems that are kids. <laughs> because we tried to play... We played a game... We tried... Season 2 was supposed to be a game called Junior Guide to Scouts or something like that. And I... It didn't work out because we realized very quickly we shouldn't be children because <laughs> it's just not appropriate. But yeah, we, no, but I, yeah, we um, tried to we played a game where we were as, or high school or whatever. And I was like, we got to be careful about how we bring that to market on air because like I'm, having a teenager. I was, it was uh, even worse when we were playing. Yeah, what was it? Babies and Broadswords. Babies and Broadswords. Uh, where we were paying yes. like it's. Babies and Broadswords, which is basically like Muppet Babies plus Dungeons and Dragons. It's a lot of fun, but also us playing with a side infants of was I mean, a very interesting funny, uh, we were dynamic. Like yeah, preteen girls at summer camp, and it was just not. It was not a good look for us. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> I think I was boy hungry. I was like, you know what? This is. I don't think this is where we want to go with this. I'm too old for this. <laughs> I haven't played masks. I've actually been studying masks to run a game, but I haven't. It's the same thing. Like I just don't do kids. But yeah, yeah. PBTA games are just very uniquely well created, and you can do whatever you yeah. want with them. And I think that's what's neat about them. With D and D, you're given your set of rules. That's the thing you do. That's how you do it. And I know there are homebrew systems amazing good for those people way to take it and use it as your own but that's the thing that i love about pbta is that it's just so open to your interpretation yeah. and and each game that they've created that you can use these system the system with is just a little different each time the playbooks are a little hard they're on copy but even then if you got a good gm you just talk about it and you're like how do i want to adjust this and then you can cross playbooks as part of moves and i just love the flexibility and the fluidity of the system i believe yeah, it is I mean, not we, a power by uh, the we were talking game. i'm trying to remember i, I want to say that kids on bikes is but i honestly don't remember what i was gonna say a week or two ago we were doing like our first cut down meeting for the content that's going to be in the new kickstarter that we're talking about and one of we're it's going to be i think we've already said this and if we haven't we'll say it now it's a book of factions right so like bet combination of good guy and bad guy factions and stuff like that right and one of the factions that i'd come up with the three of us were, t were talking about man this is really cool but you know what really this is its own game like this entire faction is really its own game and it's really not fit for the 5e system it's really would be better for powered by the apocalypse or something like that because it's because of the type of because of the type of narrative and the type of thing that was going on in the thing. So now that's been kind of like in the back of my head. Oh man, I've never written a, P by a PBTA system before, but now I think I'm going to have to go ahead and to let this thing come out. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to go ahead and see how you can write something that has so much narrative weight to it, where the mechanics and the rules are really not even sec like secondary really isn't the right way to say it. It's more like There's the narrative is the game. Yeah, and it's really just scaffolding. It's really just it's like arbitration, really simple arbitration more than anything else. So, one of the things that from a content creator side of things, I am actually, I wouldn't say scared, but I think for me, the lifting is heavier on the writing side than on the playing side. And that's just, and it, maybe it's because my head hasn't made that full switch over. Like playing PBTA, PBTA? is very easy. Yeah. No. On, the, on the writing side, <laughs> I look at the playbooks and I'm like, most of the PBT games I've seen have had somewhere between six and 10 playbooks, uh, some significantly more, some significantly less. And some of those were over time or whatever. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay, so basic moves seem pretty easy, but how do I like, and for a person who can very relatively easily build a class or a subclass, why in my head does it feel harder to make a playbook? And that's weird. 
I it should not feel that way, but it's weird that it does. And that's a hurdle that I think ho- hopefully by playing more, I will get a better grasp of it. it. Maybe it's just a little bit of imposter syndrome. Some, I guess that might Always. be it because there are elements of for now that we've done five books or whatever, there are elements of that. I was like really worried about my ability to be a part of. And now it's, Oh yeah, we do that. And I, I, I'm tossing out those kind of ideas all day. Like I have to slow myself down to not be writing three books away while we're still finishing the one we're on. But that PBTA piece, which <laughs> we have in our future plan that I haven't quite got there yet. My friend, having known you for years, just to offer you a little bit of insight from this side of the camera, we all suffer from some imposter syndrome periodically. All of us do. It's impossible not to, no matter how many accolades we collect. But you have a very crunchy, structured brain. You like detail. You like complication. You like Your brain likes the detail of 5E, as an example. PBTA seems harder because the playbooks are clean and simple with just a short, clean play with one thing in it, and they're not that complicated. And figuring out how to take the way we've trained ourselves to create and simplify it is what I think all three of us are going to struggle with. But we're up to the challenge. Yeah, the biggest thing to remember, and no, the GM does not have a lot of heavy lifting. It's on the players. It's all about the narrative. It's the player's job to tell the narrative. The GM's position is only to help with the pacing, keep the game moving forward. Jacob, here's the secret. He's going to kill me for saying this. Doesn't prep for our games at all. And so he knows what the bad guy is. (laughs) He has an idea of where the bad guy is. And that's about it. And then we do the shit and he's, oh, because that's the thing. You run into that with D&D all the time. You write a whole story. You're like, here's the story. And then your players go this way and it's gone. You don't create anything. That was the thing I had to learn as a first time GM doing Monster of the Week. I created the basic world. I created my bad guy and I had a couple of points that I wanted them to hit. If they hit them, they may not. And so you just have to pivot and wing it. And so that's not easy for somebody who's very linear and has the whole story written out. But you rely on your players. That's when you, like I said, Jacob and his genius. So what does that look like? What do you think that means? And so you let your players drive the story. And so no, the heavy lifting isn't on the GM. There's a clock with Monster of the Week. I don't think Apocalypse World had one. I can't remember. It's been three years since we played that. But there's a thing that keeps you ticking forward so that you're hitting the points. You're not just rambling along the game, but and the GM, the master of ceremonies, whatever the gaming system is, that they have them different names. That's their job is just to keep orchestrating it, but not to write it, not to like just, in fact, like he might describe the world, then it'd be like, okay, so what's the tavern look like? And we're like, okay, the tavern looks like this. Or what does the bartender look like? We think the bartender like looks like this. Like you rely on your players in this system to tell the story because that's how it works. And that is probably one of my favorite things because it's collaborative completely between the GM, the MC, whatever you want to call them, and the team. And it's no longer heavy lifted by one person. And I apologize. I did not mean to say the GM has the heavy lifting. I actually recognize that the GM has the lifting is actually fairly light for the GM, other than managing the table. The same thing that every game master at every game does. You have to make sure the table's safe. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's engaged. That job doesn't change. It's prep is significantly less with power by the apocalypse builds based on everything I've read and heard and watched on YouTube. I was thinking more as the, I want to write a brand new game that utilizes Power by the Oh, I see. Yeah. That's the piece that I was, I don't write systems. I was worried about. I don't know how to help you with uh, that. (laughs) But on the game master system, I, because I'm very good at winging it in a game, I love exploration pieces. I am probably more prone to use PBTA techniques in my, in my 5e games that, than not specifically in those role play scenes and specifically in those exploration scenes because I find they work much better because I'm a very narrative person. But Glenn's right. I like some crunch. And so I will probably always need that itch scratch somewhere. I love 2D20 because there's just enough mechanics to keep scratching that itch without it being 
a board game, which is awesome. No, and I get that. Like I said, whatever makes you happy, whatever <laughs> yeah. itch it. But you want the, scratch and you find a way to scratch it, please yeah. do. Like this yeah. life is too short to not find things that make you joyful. I was not talking with somebody earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking with somebody earlier today about a potential business venture and we were just having this really great conversation and he's like, you know what? I like you and life is too short to, life is too short to work with assholes. So let's do this thing. <laughs> That's <it's> kind of <laughs> yeah. really nice. Yeah. Life is too short to work with assholes. That's anyway. All that to go ahead and say, Chrissy, unfortunately, our, our time has come. It is time to, to wrap up tonight. This has been fabulous. Thank you so very much for coming on. I appreciate you taking your time out on a late Tuesday evening. Before mm-hmm. we sign off for the evening, though, let our listeners know where they can catch you and your troop of amazing ladies doing amazing things. Okay, You can find me on Twitter at X. Chrissy X. It's K-R-I-S-I with X's around each side of it. My main podcast is Danger Dames. Also on Twitter, I'm not, I haven't been using it as much lately just because there's only so much throughput. <laughs> but we've also been a little bit on a hiatus due to uh, some like things, but we're working on it and we're getting back to it. I'm always there to talk about systems. I'm on a couple of discords. I'm in the Hope for TRPG discord. I don't do much on there anymore but if you at my name i will definitely respond i am also on the omega star 7 audio drama and the modus files audio drama and a couple of others but we don't need to waste time on all of that (laughs) i'm on too many podcasts it turns out (laughs) there's no such thing they're just really so it eventually gets a little bit overwhelming Eight is a lot. Eight is a lot. But hey, thank you for adding ours to okay, it eight, because eight it was a great be a conversation. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. That's yeah. it, Like I said, Hope reached out to me and I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. So let's see what's coming up next week. So next week on Tuesday, episode four of our Star Trek actual play begins. This was the episode called In a Nest of Cedars, this episode that spanned over two different sessions. Then next week, actually, we're talking more Powered by the Apocalypse as Jason Ward and Jason Piercy, our friends from The Real Thing, come back talk about their next Kickstarter. Naturally, after the success of The Real Thing, they're doing Angel Dust and King for a Day Fool for a Lifetime. It's always fun having them on to talk more faith, no more, more Powered by the Apocalypse. And Chrissy, thank you very much for coming on again. Appreciate your time tonight. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to the episode tonight. Check out Chrissy. Check out the amazing thing that she's doing with Danger Dames. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night, all. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at ttjourneys joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awaits.